0: Welcome to the Antioch Podcast. We're a justice-minded Christian church in beautiful Bend, Oregon, seeking and celebrating the reconciliation of all things. May the Word of Christ dwell in you fully and give you peace.
1: The scripture reading today is from the book of Acts, chapter 2, Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some of them, however, made fun of them, and they said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose, I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
2: Thank you, Steve. Before uh, Jer comes to bring the message this morning, I want to take uh, just a moment and, um, and chat about a couple things. It is Pentecost Sunday. Um, we gather with followers of Jesus all, all across the world today to... Uh, celebrate the gift of God's Spirit and um, kind of along with Christmas and Good Friday and Easter Sunday, Pentecost Sunday is one of those um, big days in the life of the church and so that's what we're going to be focusing on and celebrating uh, this morning. Um, In addition to Pentecost, this is uh, in our country also a holiday weekend tomorrow is Memorial Day and um, Memorial Day is one of those Days that we, as uh, Christians, have somewhat of a complicated relationship with. Um, Meaning that, of course, we remember um, those who have given their lives in service to the country where we live. um, And we are thankful for the sacrifice um, that they've made. And at the same time, we grieve and lament the realities of war and destruction and um, our church is committed to this gospel of the reconciliation of all things. God's dream for this world is right relationships, harmony, peace on earth. And war is the exact opposite of all of that. And so as we stand here in Latin Memorial Day, we remember, of course, but we don't glamorize um, or glorify war and violence, but we simply name it and lament the reality um, that it exists in our world and uh, has has done lots of damage in many lives and in many families, including many of ours today. And so um, as we move into Memorial Day weekend, we go kind of with this This tension that we carry um, as followers of Jesus, the Spirit of God has come, and we celebrate the presence of God throughout the earth and the fact that things are not yet as they one day will be and as God has promised to make them. So, um, Jer Swigert's going to come in in just a moment and uh, share with us this morning. And if you've been around Antioch, Jer has been uh, a member of our teaching team, and uh, he and his family. core member of our community. And um, before he comes, I just wanted to give you a little bit of heads up that um, in the next few weeks, Jerry and his family will be uh, moving away from Bend, Oregon, and up to beautiful Spokane, Washington. And they've been in a season of discernment and uh, have felt that God has led them to begin their next season of life and ministry in a new place. And so um, we are going to officially kind of celebrate and send them off in a couple weeks, so today isn't goodbye yet, um, but it's more just a heads up, and this will be the last time Jer will get to preach as kind of part of our local resident body here. But um, we are excited to continue our relationship with Jer and with Global Immersion, the organization that he founded in Leeds. and leads, um, and we will continue to stay connect- connected and related uh, throughout the years to come. But um, before he comes today, I just wanted to give you a heads up that um, that there's a big change coming in their life. Um, and we'll celebrate that soon. So, cool? All right. Cheers, swagger. Thanks,
0: man. That's super meaningful. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Thanks for that, Pete. Uh, once we're once family, we're family, so you can't shake me. Um, <laughs> So uh, it's Pentecost, I feel like it's one of the most underrated moments in the life of the evangelical church, and so I wore red. I hope some of you got your Pentecost pants on. Uh, I did my hair up to look especially fiery today, Uh, so I seek to embody this moment as well as possible. Um, Friends, we're a part of a story, and it's a story of a God who can't stop himself from redeeming all of creation. It's a story of a God who gives everything because he loves. It's a story of a God who arrived impoverished and vulnerable as an infant named Jesus. And then this story continued with Jesus living and narrating a hopeful alternative to binding religion and conquering politics. And as he lived and he loved in this way, the kingdoms of religion and politics got threatened. And so those two kingdoms did the only thing that systems of power know to do. They silenced him. And they thought to themselves, ah, here's just one more fanatic who died for a lost cause. But what we're learning is that God can't be silenced. That death didn't win. That we don't follow a dead fanatic. We follow the resurrected Jesus and we're learning to shape our lives around his life for the good of the world. Are you with me? Yeah. That's the sermon that continues after the portion that you just heard. That's Peter's message when the spirit inhabited him and he couldn't help himself but to declare the greatness of God and express the extravagance of God's love to a global community that had convened to remember liberation. Now, the story and what I just shared, the mere knowledge of that story is not enough to propel the story forward. The the historicity of it, the details of that are not the reason that here we are 2,000 years later sitting and talking about it. The story hasn't been propelled by ideas and data. The story has been propelled by power because the story that we're a part of is a story that is inhabited by power. We have access to the greatest power in the cosmos, I wonder if we know that. And if we do know that, I wonder if we live like we have access to the power that animated life that woke Jesus back up and that descended on a day 2,000 years ago. Now the power that that I'm talking about is one that Jesus actually was, he had oriented his community to this for quite some time before he died. If you want to open your Bibles to John chapter 14 or page 927. John chapter 14 or page... 9, Jesus, as he's working with his community before the Passover where they killed him, right? He's talking with his community, and he says in verse 12, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. Well, what are the works that he's been doing? Like waking dead people up, feeding people with meager means, exercising folk from... From oppressive powers that occupied their lives, healing folk, reinstating folk's sense of identity and community. Like Jesus is doing this stuff. And so they're hearing Jesus say, Y'all are going to do the things that you've seen me do. Whoever believes in me will do these works. But then he says, And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Now, uh, Again, a quick word here. When Jesus says believes, he's not talking about intellectual consent. He's not talking about ideals. Like if you hold on to these ideas, you'll do greater things than these. Knowledge has never changed the world. When knowledge seeps into our bones and into our bodies and we begin to embody it, that's what actually begins to change the world. So Jesus isn't isn't saying smart people who can replicate what I'm saying will actually be a part of doing greater things. He's saying, no, people who live and love like I live and love, you will do greater things than you have seen me do. The greater things are not more sensational or more stunning. He's saying there are going to be more of you inhabited by my power to be a part of the restoration of souls and lives and societies. There's a revolution afoot, and this baby's going global. That's what he's talking about here, right? So um, then he goes on in in verse 6, because he says here, like, the greater things are only possible because I'm about to leave. And then he says in verse 16, but don't worry. I'm gonna send an advocate, I'm gonna send a helper. It's called the Holy Spirit here, the Numa. It's a feminine pro- uh, noun, so I'm gonna use a feminine pronoun when I refer to the Spirit today. She will come, and she will actually enable, empower, animate your lives to do these greater things, to take this revolution global. He says, don't worry, I'm gonna give you this helper. It's, she's gonna inhabit your life. And then he says in verse 17, it's not gonna be a new spirit, it's gonna be the same spirit that brought creation to being in the very start of the story. It's just going to be a new experience of the Spirit because it's going to be within you collectively as the family. The Spirit that has roamed among us now will roam within us. It's a new experience. In John 15, if you just flip over really quick, John 15, 26 and 27, Jesus goes on to say, and this power that you're going to receive access to is not a power of domination. My my spirit, my power is not so that you can dominate and conquer and colonize and convert. The power that I'm going to give you is about restoration and healing and uniting and building a new world. So when you receive power, it's not going to fuel you for the work of domination. It's going to fuel you for the work of restoration. When you receive my power, it's not going to center you. It's going to point to me. And the Jesus community goes, wait, you're leaving And Jesus is in in John chapter 16. He's like, yeah, 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 and it's good for me to leave because when I leave, you're going to receive access to this power and it's going to reside within you, remember greater things. And then he goes on in Luke 24 and he's like, here's what I need you to do. When I die and get back up, I need you to stay in Jerusalem. I'm going to send my spirit and you will be clothed in power. Then he goes on to say in in Acts uh, 1.8, He says to the Jesus community, my spirit is about to carry my life into your life. My spirit is gonna empower a courageous unity that catches the watching world's attention. Your life together marked by sacrificial love will narrate the extravagance of my love here, near, and far through your life together community. The Holy Spirit is going to draw the world to me through your love, community. The Holy Spirit is going to wake the world up to its belovedness, to its liberation, and to its invitation to participate with me in the reconciliation of all things. Greater things are yet to come. And now, community, it's your turn. And the Jesus community said, Wait, you're leaving? The response of this imperfect community of worshiping doubters is like, what are you talking about? Greater things. Have you seen us? And then, just like Jesus said it would, the story shifted from God with to God within. That's the passage that Steve just read for us. Now, there are moments throughout history where it seems like God pours out his spirit in some really vivid ways, really, really super unusual, super condensed, extraordinary ways. And it seems like when that happens, it happens on purpose, and ultimately the result of it is a whole community of people get wrapped up into the story of God's restoration, the story of God's extravagant loves. This, this passage right here in Acts 2 seems to be the first time that happened among the church. So I want to raise up a couple of themes here. If you turn over to Acts chapter 2, which is on page 936, in Acts chapter 2, first of all, um, it's Pentecost and Pentecost is the festival that happens 50 days, Penta 50. It's 50 days after Passover. It's the feast of the harvest. It was one of three festivals that required a global pilgrimage back to Jerusalem. So think about this. I mean, the way of life in the form of Judaism, was very much informed by these rhythms and these practices and these pilgrimages where we just keep getting together. A month and a half previous, they had all been in Jerusalem for Passover, and they no doubt had been marked by a moment where a dude got crucified, the sky went dark, and the whole city was shaken. No doubt they were troubled by what happened there. And now a month and a half later, they're on their way back to Jerusalem being like, what in the world is gonna happen this time? Do you remember? Like, they're probably still shaken by what's going on. This is a global pilgrimage. The global community is convening in Jerusalem. Now, the number 50, I'm not like hocus pocus with numbers in the Bible, but I think it's interesting that the number 50 shows up 153 times in the scriptures. And when it does, it seems to always denote this idea of liberation, of um, of freedom, of deliverance. So there's something happening as these people are coming. Remind you, you, they're under the occupation of Rome and the dude who just they thought was probably going to be the one to lead them just got killed by Rome 50 days previous. All of this is in the consciousness of the people as they make their way to Jerusalem on Pentecost to celebrate the Feast of the Harvest. Um, Luke writes that suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And so in the midst of this global pilgrimage back to Jerusalem, keeping in mind, it's lethal to follow the one that got crucified 50 years previous. These folk, like, yeah, Jesus is like, power is going to come and you're going to be, you're going to broadcast the story of love globally. And they're all like, you understand that, like, when, when kingdoms of religion and politics silence a movement, they don't just chop off the head. They take all the key players out too. These people are not like, extra, like they're not, they're not standing in the, in the stoas and the platforms talking about the reality of the resurrected Jesus. It's crazy to say you killed a guy who got back up and removed moved by him and were waiting to be clothed in his power. It's nonsense. Instead, they're huddled in a room and I don't know if they're like praying for that power to descend or if they're like reciting the 23rd Psalm, you know, like the eighth, the white walk through the valley. Of the, you know, whatever's going on for them, they're in a room together and suddenly the Holy Spirit descends just like Jesus said it would and it takes the shape of the blowing of a wind and fire, which I'll talk about in just a second, but the suddenly is what captures my attention. This notion that the Spirit is unbound. The Spirit roams untamed. The Spirit cannot be manipulated. Even if they were sitting in that room asking for the Spirit to come, they could not coerce the presence of the Spirit to drop in that place. When the Spirit comes in power, she does so suddenly and on her own terms. And when she came that time, the sound of wind and flames on heads. You see, when, when the Spirit, throughout the scriptures, when the Spirit shows up, sometimes the Spirit shows up with like these physical, visual, audible, touchable demonstrations. Exodus chapter 3, a bush that is on fire but is not being consumed. Exodus chapter 13, the Israelites in a wilderness wander being led by pillars of cloud and fire. Luke chapter 3, after Jesus is baptized, the spirit descends like a dove. In this moment, it's wind and it's fire. In, the ne- in Acts chapter 4, it's going to be the building shaking. In Acts chapter 6, it's going to be Stephen's face transforming to look like an angel's. In Acts chapter 16, it's going to be an earthquake When the Spirit arrives, at times it's visual, it's physical, it's embodied, it shakes things up because the Spirit is saying a new thing is happening right now. Pay careful attention. And so, Antioch, I want to invite you to stand to your feet for a second. Go ahead. And I want you to imagine a Jesus community who believes that the one who died got back up and is about to breathe power out. I want, to imma- I want you to imagine with me this community in a room with their feet pl- uh, uh, planted firmly on the earth. And they're longing for a new reality. And all of a sudden, the room fills with the sound of wind and the appearance of fire. I want you to imagine earth, wind, fire. And I wonder if that moment didn't sound something like this. Yeah. All right. Come on. We're not the frozen chosen. This is Pentecost. You can move your bodies a little bit. Huh? Let's go. Pete, you're about to die to be a doctor. Let's dance. Come on. I mean, I don't know what it sounded like. Let's go. In the back. Let's move. That's it. All right. That's good. Go ahead and sit back down. I don't know. I don't know what that would have sounded like. I think it sounded like, like my preference would be if it sounded something like that. <laughs> but but what we hear is that in that moment, the room was filled with awe. There was an awe. Like the, the fire moved into their bodies and into their bones. They were overwhelmed with the presence and the nearness and the power of God. And when that happened, the only thing that they could do was worship. And their worship sounded like declarations of the greatness of God. So you have a community who they understand it's lethal to follow Jesus now are flooded. Their lives are inhabited by the power that animated life to begin with. And in response, they cannot stop talking about the greatness of God. And the extraordinary reality in this moment is that what the spirit did is that the spirit enabled a global community to actually understand the story of God's extravagant love in a language that they could understand. So if you imagine Peter who like 50 days previous is like, I don't know the man now. Like He's dancing in the rhythms of Jesus so boldly that it spills into the streets in a moment that is really intense and he's declaring the greatness of God and people are like, that bro's from Galilee. I don't know if he can read, but he's speaking, you know, like Arabic. I can hear the story of the God that he follows in a language that I can understand, extraordinary moments Now it says that the people, as they're listening to Peter's sermon unfold, which is, which sounded something like how I started, they were amazed and perplexed. Here are two common responses when the spirit moves in a unique way. One, there's a deepened curiosity and lean in. People are like, what is God doing here? What's God up to? The second response tends to be cynicism and a lean out. In this case, clearly this is a chemically induced human manipulation. Right? I don't know if you were paying attention, but in February of this year, the Spirit seemed to touch down in a really unique way at Asbury University. And if you were paying attention to the commentary at all, most of it were in those two categories, a curiosity and a lean, and what is God doing here? And others were like, this is simply a PR stunt by a drowning university. When I've been in rooms where the spirit has flooded the place, I oscillate at first between curiosity and cynicism, but then I start to watch the fruit of what's happening in the place. Is it centering individuals or are people beginning to declare the greatness of God? Is there stuff like public confession happen, happening? Is there, are there souls being undone and remade? Are relationships being reconciled? Are imaginations being awakened for what it means to be a family on motion, on mission? in a place like this for the good of of the world. You know, like I'm listening for those types of things and when I hear those things, I move quickly away from cynicism and deep into curiosity. So when I was watching what was going on in Asbury, granted from 3,000 miles away, I'm like, I'm oscillating, I'm oscillating. And then I call a friend who's a professor there and I said, can you tell me what's happening in the room? And he told me stories of internal, interpersonal, and even institutional restoration that were happening. He was talking to me about stories of deliverance and public confession and awakened imaginations and people being emboldened to stand up and make declarations and make commitments to one another. And all this stuff is unfolding. I'm like, ah, I think maybe it's true that the Spirit continues to do what the the Spirit did 2,000 years ago. This is not a historical moment that's locked up here. This is something that continues to happen repeatedly in ways that we can't coerce, we can simply receive and live into. And on this particular day, when it happened here, people could hear the story of God's extravagant love unfolding and it says that 3,000 people began to tap their toes to the rhythms of Jesus. They began to wake up to the greatness of God. Now, I love it, and I want it. There's not a room like this that I crawl into across the country or the world where I don't walk across the threshold and go like, whoa, God, is this, is this, the mo- is this a moment? Will you pour your spirit in a fresh way? I want that. I wake up on Pentecost Sunday like I wake up on Easter, like I wake up on Sunday with a different kind of anticipation that I wish that I could just live with every single day. I'm desperate for a fresh outpouring of the Spirit to continue to transform my life and increase God's fame in the world. Not through domination, but through uh, uh, examples of restoration. The fact of the matter is, God hasn't done that repeatedly every single day for the next 2,000 years. Because remember, his teaching was the spirit is going to come within you, family. It's not going to be these extraordinary flames and music and dancing. It's going to be you, family, living a spirit-animated life in a way that actually puts on display the extravagance of God's love. The watching world is not going to come to know God because of these one-off pinnacle moments. The watching world is going to come to know who God is because the Spirit inhabits us, family, to live sacrificial love in this place in a way that transforms it and draws people into the story of restoration. The Spirit is not a one-trick pony. The spirit is here, active, alive, inhabiting this family, and we get to ride the wind of the ruach, the exhale of God, if we want to. And so what I want to do is spend the, my last couple of moments looking at what it meant for that community to live a spirit-animated life. A spirit-empowered life. What did it mean for this original community of Jesus followers to dance in the rhythms of Jesus? And so if you look at Acts 2, 42 through 47, you see that they devoted themselves to four things. Devoted doesn't mean I'll get to it if I have time or I'll get to it, but maybe the sun's shining bright and I'm going to go do this instead. It's No, it's like an unwavering commitment to these four things because I want to tap into the life of the community and I want to surge to the rhythms of Jesus with this family in a way that transforms our location. Here are the four things that they committed to that the spirit-inhabited family began to live into. Number one, the apostles' teaching. When the, when the Spirit inhabited the, uh, the apostles, they taught in ways that stirred awe and wondered. It moved people to the core. Now, I imagine that there are moments when they, teached, they taught and the Spirit didn't move. I'm positive that happens when I teach, right? But... <laughs> I think there are moments that when the, like the Spirit inhabited the apostles and when they taught, it inspired awe and wonder. People were moved by the greatness of God. People started to get out of their own way and step more fully into the sacrificial, restorative way of Jesus, right? When they taught, they pointed to Jesus, They pointed to Jesus, and when they pointed to Jesus, God worked, and oftentimes in that early community, when they taught and they pointed to Jesus and God worked, it was often accompanied with signs and wonders that were very similar to the signs and wonders that Jesus offered when he was there. Why? Here's my thought. Because God needed the watching world at that time to understand that the community was the continuation of His power and presence on the planet the story of miracles and restoration and healing and resurrection and renewal, that doesn't die with Jesus on the cross. It doesn't ascend with Jesus to the heavens. This continues in the physical presence and power of God in the community. So when they taught and God moved, it was accompanied with signs and wonders as God's stamp on like, this is me at work among you. Again, this is not locked in history. This is happening all over the world today. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Second, they devoted, devoted themselves to community. Community is not the sense where we're like, we kind of have an affinity group and you know, we, we appreciate what's happening at Antioch and we kind of resonate with this place. Community that we're talking about here is an interdependence. It's an interdependence that requires bridging across difference and disagreement into relationship with one another. I spend my life in battlefields around the world, whether war zones or boardrooms, recognizing right now that it is only by the power of the Spirit that we're able to bridge difference and disagreement. We are incapable of doing this stuff on our own especially as polarized as we all are from one another in our families, in our workspaces, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our organizations. It's the power of the Spirit that is the bridge builder that animates that work in our lives. I am desperate. I can't teach skills of peacemaking to bridge difference without talking about the power of the Holy Spirit to bring it to life, keeping in mind that it's the Spirit of God, the mighty exhale of God that has animated life from the very beginning. It's the only thing that brings life. And so this community that we're talking, they devoted themselves to interdependence, a dependency on the spirit to help them actually bridge across difference and disagreement into relationship with one another. And here's what happened when they did. They began to recognize that there was disparity in the community. There was need there was injustice, there was inequity. And what began to happen in this particular community that was inhabited by the Spirit is that when they began to understand that there is inequity here, that there is need, that there is any kind of differentiation in resources, people began to sell belongings out of their meager possessions to redistribute resources to people who didn't have enough. If I'm in this family and it's a spirit, wind-riding family, I cannot continue to live with, with resources if you are going hungry. I cannot. That's what was happening here. So they devoted themselves to that kind of community. Not small groups where we enjoy each other. We're talking about the kind of community where we're bridging difference and disagreement and redistributing our resources to make sure that nobody goes hungry, that everybody's kid is taken care of, right? Like it, go, it goes on and on and on. That's what the Spirit enabled in the life of this community. Generosity became a manifestation of the Spirit-empowered community. Not program-oriented, it was a habit of their life. So they devoted themselves to the teaching about Jesus, to community, third, to the shared table. I'm convinced that the most important piece of furniture in the kingdom of God is the table because it's the great equalizer. My preference is a round table because there's no head. It's an equalizer. It's where we remember our mortality. It's where we actually engage with our hunger. It's a place where relationships are formed. It's where relationships grow. It's where relationships can be reconciled. The table is a place of equity and inclusion. And so these people didn't just kind of do it and schedule it here and there. They did it constantly. And when they were together around the table, you want to know what they did? They did the thing that Jesus told them to do. Take the common elements, the bread and the wine And break the bread and share the wine and remember the extravagance of my love. Remember that my life was marked by sacrifice. Oh, and then take that food into your body and let it fuel you to live sacrificial love as you walk away from this table. So they devoted themselves, a spirit-inhabited community, devoted themselves to teaching about Jesus, community-shared table, and prayer. And it's not churchy, it's not religious when they got in touch with each other. They got in touch with God. They recognized that they needed a power far greater than themselves. In themselves, for themselves, and with each other. And so when they got in touch with each other, they got in touch with God. And what we see throughout the scriptures is that in the teaching, in the communion, in the shared table, in the prayers, the spirit roamed untamed. And it animated a way of sacrificial love that became not only a way of life, but it shaped their reputation, and it began to transform society. And so friends, on this Pentecost Sunday, I want you to know that the spirit of Pentecost then is as real and present and tangible and invested today as she was then. That the spirit is the most powerful power in the cosmos. The spirit is not your conscious. The spirit is the thing that empowers you to do the unthinkable. And I confess that in my ministry, I've probably overemphasized Jesus. Believe it or not, I don't know what that feels like to hear, but like, I think I've overemphasized Jesus. And this is why I started by saying Pentecost is overrated. Yes, I follow Jesus, but it's the spirit that fuels my life and transforms me such that the thoughts, the words, and the actions of Jesus become mine The Spirit is what inhabits the family such that the thoughts and the words of Jesus become our habit, our everyday way of life. So today I want you to know that the Spirit that initiated life, that rose Jesus from the grave, that descended 2,000 years ago um, on that original community is here now. That Spirit is here and is roaming untamed, animating our lives and that of our community That spirit is here now reminding us that we are beloved and so are they. That spirit is here now transforming us such that our impulses are those of Jesus. That spirit is here now unifying us so that the watching world discovers the, the extravagance of his love. And that that spirit of God is here now fueling us to get creative in love with one another and those around us. And so Antioch, let's continue to become a family that asks for a fresh outpouring of the Spirit among us. Let's ask that the Spirit continue to awaken us to its invitations to give our lives away. And let's ask for the courage to ride the wind of God's exhale, God's power across diverse thresholds for the good of the world. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.